When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Now the dust has settled on England's humiliating Ashes defeat at the MCG, it's time for us to look at how Test cricket might be saved and rise again in England. Over the next hour, we'll hear from former England internationals Mark Butcher, Monty Panesar, and Nick Compton, and we'll also be joined live by Gary Kirsten a man who was famously interviewed for the role as England head coach back in 2019, three years ago. As well as this, we'll discuss whether modern-day coaching is an issue at county level in particular with Durham bowling coach Neil Killeen and Lizzie Ammon from The Times discusses what the future might hold for the ECB. So much over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, I, I said that the dust has settled. I, I'm not sure it is. I think it's still swirling, Harmy. Um, so much to talk about. Um, let's let's try and put a positive spin on things wherever we can. Yeah, Jimmy Anderson um, has called on the ECB to redress the balance between red ball and white ball cricket in England. And you've said several times over the last couple of days that England are further off the pace in red ball cricket now than they were off the white ball pace in 2015. Still feel that way? Yeah, 100% feel that way. If anything, I feel stronger that that way. When I listen to somebody like James Anderson talk, I've listened to Joe Root talk about that as well when talking about whether he carries on with the captaincy and possibly making demands at the ECB to readdress the balance of what the white ball and the red ball game looks like in this country. Um, and there's been some crazy stuff about, obviously, coaching and, and everything that goes with you know, the fallout of, of having an Ashes defeat and Ashes debacle. Um, I seen some stats the other day and it was, I thought I was bad. 2006, seven uh, was it 1,160 odd days, but in the last four Ashes series that have gone down there, we lasted the longest. So, you know, it wasn't all bad doom and gloom for Freddie Flindoff and his team. So 
look, tongue in cheek, joking aside, it was embarrassing. It has been a shambles. I think one thing that hasn't been mentioned too much is bubble life. Um, I wouldn't like to play in this time. And I honestly think that this last four or five weeks has been the final straw for some of the players mentally without even thinking about it. You know, they're probably thinking, right, we're up in Adam Churchillian style, pumping the chests. We're ready. We'll take on Australia. But actually, they weren't. They are miles away from a, a mental point of view, miles away from a physical point of view. And I think this was the final straw that nobody really foreseen. I think we have to we have to sort of give them you know, some leeway on that. But performance-wise, yes, still not being up to the standard that it needed to be against a, a formidable Australian bowling lineup because I think batting units, you know, we, we've got players that can score runs and possibly have challenged uh, under different circumstances. But bowling units have been England have been blown away by some fantastic fast bowling. I'm veering a little bit off uh, off script here, um, but I, I because I suddenly it has occurred to me England are three nil down. You've been there, three nil down, two to play. What would you say? You may you may even have had some conversations with the England players over there. I don't know, but but if if they if they said, Harmy, what what do we do? How do we approach these last two Test matches? Do we, you know, sort of write write the series? Well, the series is written off now. I mean, do you, do, do we not care if we lose four nil or five nil? In in the sense that it allows you to play carefree cricket. You know, do, do they say to themselves, what's the worst scenario? We lose five nil. I think they've got a they've got there's a lot of soul searching going on inside them in the four walls has got to be individually and collectively as a as a unit you're trying to look to the future you know fast forward in th- two months time England go to the West Indies and leave them behind leave them out of bubble life and plan potentially for what comes in the summer and then you know, try and make a bigger pool of players. The one thing about this one day side that we've, we've sort of waxed lyrical over for years, last sort of three years is the pool of players they've got. One goes out, another one just not as good, but up to the standard to not devalue the team. We've struggled with that at test match cricket, unless it's Anderson, unless it's broad, you know, Robinson's come in the bowling unit to sort of, I think, add value when Woods fit, he adds value. We haven't found a spinner in that front yet. Well, we're heavily around on two blokes. You know, one's called Joe Root, one's called James Anderson. And some of the stats in 2021 tell you that. And I think what we have to find is to try and make this pool of red ball players bigger. And if that means we be ruthless with our selection and start again when it comes to the batting department, then potentially we have to do that. But I think you've got the basis of a middle order in Milan, Root and Stokes. Could you have a look at another opener? Is there one on Australian soil? Probably not. You might have to wait at the Caribbean. Does Stokes go back to number six and you give Sid Ali Pope right? As much as we took you out the firing line, you are our future. You are the one that we think we've invested heavily in your development. We put you back in at number five. And we'll have Stokes at six. And if Bairstow keeps him and Butler go head to head for that, that role, I don't think you go back to Rory Burns. I, I, re- I really don't. So I think you have to have one eye on the horizon, but you've also got to play the game. You play the game and the game in front of you is Sydney, full test match, Ashes. There's the thousands and thousands of people going to come in over five, over five days. You have to make sure that the fundamentals of cricket is the simplest thing in the world to do, which is defend the ball and earn the right to score runs. And unfortunately at the minute, 
we can't defend the ball. So we've got no chance of earning the right to score runs other than possibly Joe Root. And that is our problem. It's been our problem all year. Our bowling has been up to the standard no matter what combinations we've gone with. The batten has let us down because as much as you can turn around Joe and say at Adelaide we didn't bowl full enough, the bowlers will always say, well, you didn't score enough runs for us to bowl, potentially bowl full enough or give us a chance to, to go. And in 2021, the only time we've scored runs is when our captain scored runs, and that's not good enough. Talking of uh, finding another opener, this is what Mark Butcher had to say about um, about the top order. Sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I got uh, I made my debut for England playing um, in 1997 in the Ashes at the age of 24. Um, I then was out of the side for uh, for a year and a half, came back as a 29-year-old and, and, and averaged 40 from that moment on as a, as a test match player, sort of in, the, in my prime years around 21 to 32. So, look, it, it sometimes the easy thing to do or, the, or the, the romantic thing to do is look for youth and try and think that all these young guys are going to come in and dig you out of it. I think English players develop later than players around, uh, elsewhere around the world. But for, with, for English players, certainly... Um, that extra maturity can be very helpful for them. That was former England batter Mark Butcher speaking to our colleagues at Sky Sports News. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's not like there are half a dozen players at county cricket that, that, that have been, you know, kicking the door down. There seems to be a fundamental flaw. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's largely, largely down to system manners, that opening batsmen don't get a chance to be there long enough to build an innings and create an innings because of... Some of the times we play in the surfaces that we play on, it's not a knock against the ground staff. It's just, this is the time we play. We play in, 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 in times in the calendar that it is very difficult for sometimes to bat on. And then you've got a game around the corner. Your confidence is denting because you've just nicked off. It's all a mental game that comes with it. And I agree with Butch. I don't know if you remember, all the way back at the start of the Cricket Collective this season, when we were asked about openers, I said Adam Lyth. Because yeah. for one reason... We have a tendency in this country to pick a player, especially a batsman, by the time he's 23, his career is over because he's nicked off a few times for England. By the time he's 25, he's just starting to find out how to, to build an innings and understand his game. And you know, when he has a bad time, how he how he reverts to just absorbing the ball and making sure he gets through difficult passages either in innings or in matches or in you know, in a, in, a, in a calendar month where he plays three or four games. And then by the time of 28, 29, they're just coming into their own. They feel as though that they know their game inside out and it's the best they can bat. But by that time, they've been retired from England for three or four years in some people's eyes. And I think that is something that it still knocks me now. There's some players who, are, who have got technical flaws who will not play a test match cricket at any sort of, for any length of period in time. James Vince might be one of them. We all talk about James Vince going back to James Vince and potentially next captain if if Joe decides to pack in. But James Vince seems to have this technical flaw that every time he goes out to bat against top international red ball bowlers, he nicks off. And that is something that has he has he overcome that? Well, England might have to have a look back and see if that's the case. But we have, a, we have a massive tendency in this country to, to retire players at 25 when their best days are between the ages of 29 and 32. And that is something Australia do all right with. And I think India do all right with. Indian tend to sort of pick them young. And if they're not good enough, 
we don't work on how to make them better. We just jettison them and think, right, we'll get another one off the off the rank because there's a load of first class cricketers. You know, not many times do you get Ian Bell. Ian Bell played 100 first class games before he played for England. Not many times you get the likes of Alistair Cook and Andrew Strauss just walk into Test cricket and make it look very very simple. Hami, just quickly on the subject of um, of the captain Joe Root has said, uh, well, it's a very good story in the Daily Mail written by our friend, uh, our good friend, Lawrence Booth, saying that Joe Root has indicated his willingness to continue as captain, but only if he's given the same level of control and influence that Owen Morgan was given over the white ball teams. There's been talk that, you know, there needs to be a stronger character. I think Joe Root's become a, a strong character, or at least tried to. You know, the way that Nasser Hussain and Duncan Fletcher revitalised um, English cricket. I just wonder whether if Joe Root got the team he wanted, and we know he hasn't for the last 18 months, is he the right man? Yeah, he's the right man. He's the only man at the minute. And I want him to get nasty. I've seen a different side of him after Adelaide, and I enjoyed it. I want him to get nasty. Don't want him to pat everybody on the back. I grew up with Nasser Hussain telling me every, t- every time I got hit for four, there was a big, th- Nasser was walking back to your mark, Nasser's on a big screen. He's dug a massive hole kicking the dirt and his cap's come off about four times onto the ground. <laughs> I knew I wasn't doing my job properly. This is playing for England. We're not playing dog and duck. I want him to be nasty. I want him to be a controlled nasty in a way, but I also want him to have an opinion on how the game is run. He's England captain. He's not just England captain. He's a modern day grit. We should be, we should be getting every ounce out of this guy and what he wants to do. We did it with Morgan and rightly so, but Morgan had a position of strength because he, he built a winning team. He went, built a winning formula and that's what Joe's got to do now going forward. He might have to use Owen Morgan going forward on how he did what he did to make sure that this team got to where it got to in 2019. But Joe's the right man for the job. There was a couple of times that he's been criticised. and But when you've got Jack Leach, who doesn't know when he wants to let go of the ball, and he's so apprehensive about you know the way he's bowling and bowling down the leg side, them field positions had to be like that. You know, he got criticised for having too an aggressive field when he first came on in Brisbane. And then he got criticised when he had a negative field in, in, uh, in Melbourne. I'm sorry, there's not much Joe can do about that. It's about the bowler. The bowler's not doing his job properly in that situation. There's not a great deal the captain can do. The one thing the captain can do and he should be doing, should be going to his bosses and telling them, you know, why are we in this best position? Because the one thing I do agree with him with, and this is the frightening part of it, if we did turn around and say none of their Ashes players are going to us to the West Indies, by the time the first test comes around, I would say the, our best 18 players are the ones that went to Australia in red ball cricket. Anderson will take wickets, Broad will take wickets, Robinson will take wickets because they're red ball cricketers. Burns will score runs, Root will score runs, everybody will, will do their job and we'll be back to square one. This is our best team. You know, We ha- now have to look to br- bring that pool of players bigger and that for me is under Joe Root and he has to be stronger doing that. In the second half, we'll talk about coaching um, and whether Chris Silverwood's uh, too, too nice a guy and whether he's symptomatic of uh, the coaching approach um, throughout uh, um, England. But next up, we'll speak live to the former South Africa and India head coach, Gary Kirsten, who gives us his take on how English cricket can be improved. 
As promised, I'm delighted to say that we're joined live by Gary Kirsten, um, who, of course, uh, interviewed for the England head coach position three years ago in 2019. Gary, I assume you know that England lost the Ashes in 11 days. Thanks for your time, by the way. How's it, Manners? How's it, Steve? It's uh, yeah, great to catch up with you guys. I have uh, kept a, a kind of a half an eye on it. I mean, it's always, it's always an amazing event, the Ashes, so um, I do enjoy watching it. Gary, I don't want to in any way get you to comment on, um, you know, uh, individuals at all, but you are um, already on the record as saying that you remain available for any coaching position, and that includes the head coach of England. You also said that you would prefer to concentrate on test cricket. So I I wondered if you might be able to expand on that, Um, you know, that... International cricket, particularly for England, in a head coach perspective, is is brutal. I mean, it's like a 11 and a half months of the year job. Yeah, I mean, as a, absolutely. And I think it is a real challenge in, in the coaching world these days where you're away from um, home for long periods of time. And, um, you know, I've tabled now for... On, an, on a number of occasions, not only with England cricket, but around the world, that we need to start coming up with ways that we can um, create specialist coaches in, in different formats. And, um, you know, I just think of some of the guys that are involved in franchise T20 cricket that have done three, 400 games as coaches. They've got a lot more experience at any, than any international, you know, um, coaches that are with their international teams for over a year. So... The idea of having um, specialist coaches in, in certain formats, I think, is uh, the time the time has come. And obviously, with um, COVID being a real challenge for players and coaches traveling around the world, it definitely highlights it even more. And Gary, before the the sort of invention of IPL, franchise cricket, the England job was a was a job that a lot of people wanted to to go for, to apply for, to be involved with. Is it still a big lure? been involved with with the ECB and the England cricket team? Steve, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a massive privilege to be offered a a job of that nature. And um, what is it, three years ago? I don't don't know. Maybe two and a bit years ago, I was asked to come for for an interview. And, um, you know, my focus um, of attention is always on the format where one thinks that um, the team can really reach new heights or, or certainly go to new heights. And, uh, you know, when I was with the Proteas in, in 2011 and 12, um, you know, we had a good test team, but a team that should be the best in the world, you know, and um, um, we were able to, uh, yeah, I think, achieve that just because we focused our attention on that. And it just feels like now with English cricket, um, test cricket is just a, a great opportunity for for them to reset and, Know, and just to look at the at what they want to do to make sure that they've got a formidable team, like they've done with the with the one day team and the and, and the shorter formats. They've done a great job in just saying, okay, we want a new bunch of young players coming through, not only young but just good white ball cricketers. And you know, their team hardly changes now, um, and that's probably what is required in the test side. And you mentioned that the team at the white ball team is a phenomenal. It's phenomenal unit. It's a ridiculous unit. You can. Yeah, it wouldn't take much to to sort of be involved or to lead that that team going forward. But you you mentioned there about South Africa wanting to make them the best team in the world, wanting to do something different and get them to the heights that that, that could hopefully you know reach. But whenever we go through an Ashes cycle in this country, if England beat Australia, 
Australia want to use the juke ball in, in Australian conditions to get used to it. And when England lose the Ashes, they blame county cricket. They blame the you know, we're using a cooker, we're not using a cooker ball, which you know pitches off flat. They're not flat enough, and all the time this stuff that's gone with it. Is it simple that is it just a symbol if we move the county game to play on on better surfaces that we'll produce better cricketers? Or do you think there is something more than that? Is the county game suffering because of the white ball? Um, environment that we've we've uh, developed since 2015. Yeah, Steve. I mean, I think you've probably covered quite a lot of bases there. Um, but I was fortunate to, you know, just have um, a short stint in in the hundred and getting to understand English cricket a little bit more. And um, I think there's a lot there's a lot to be encouraged by and a lot to be impressed by in English cricket. But I think I found one of the most amazing things is I asked three or four coaches of county teams plus a number of um, senior players in English cricket who their top six would be in their batting lineup for the England test side and I never got the same answer from anyone mm-hmm. and for me that is a that is a red flag I mean I think every great test playing team has a very secure top six and yes you might have one change of a young stick coming through or not but generally you've got a secure top six you would not you should know who your top six of the top six best technically best england test batsmen are and test and test test match batting is about great techniques it's not about makeshift technique, techniques it's about having the guys who can manage the best bowlers in the world on difficult conditions as simple as that. That's what makes a great test match batsman. I think, um, Steve, as a as a great fast bowler that you were for England, you know, whilst twenty wickets is really really important for test teams to win games, what sets up games is your top six and test match batting. And you've got to have, you've got to you've got to be able to put decent scores on the board to allow your bowlers to win matches. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think you, you one, two, and three are so important in making sure that you have a four, five, six that can flourish in, in a balance between your, your batting unit. And speaking of the batting unit and England's batting unit, talking about techniques, there is a, a bit of a discrepancy with, with some of the, the techniques that are in there at this moment in time. First of all, how would you, how do you think you could go about changing that? Does that come from a lower level? Does that come from in county cricket? Because when I look at Two guys, especially, I'll, I'll mention two here in Burns and Pope. Both play for Surrey, both play on decent wickets. Their numbers in first class cricket are, are always good going into test matches, but then their techniques struggle a little bit when they come up against a bowler who can put five out of six in around off stump and say, Right, I'm challenging your technique. And more often than not, the bowler wins. Well, you, I think you've, I think you've answered it. Any, anyway, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, you, you've got to be able to go out there as a Test match batsman and be worth your salt. Manners has followed South African cricket for many, many years and understands that. I mean, we, you know, we we had guys and do continue to have guys, not necessarily at the same level that we have had in the past, but they were just bankers. You know, just bankers in your team. They know that at, at, on any given day they could get you, you, you know, a Test match hundred, and and I think you have to have um, those guys that are technically astute that can manage the challenge of um, test match batting, um, um, and against the best bowlers in the world. You have to have those individuals, and you also need to be able to play the game in a way that um, you know takes the game forward. 
I think it's really, really important. You've got to be able to take the game forward. And, um, you know, your top six batting unit is so important in being able to set that up. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with um, the rigours of county cricket and, first class, and the first class game. But the one thing that I do know, um, and I've had experience as a player and as a coach, is that every innings needs to be important. You know, every first class innings that you have in your career must be a very special innings. And one of the concerns, certainly what I heard whilst I was in England last year, was that, you know, you might have 27, 28 first-class innings um, that you would play in a county season. That's way too many. I mean, you know, you can have a couple of innings where you're not firing and you can always make it up and come back, you know. But if you've only got 16 first-class innings in your season, you're going to put a prize on every single innings that you have. And I think maybe... Maybe there's something, there's something there that uh, English cricket could look at is just, um, you know, to take the, the red ball game very seriously, not to have just a, a heap of volumes of games and just put a prize on every innings. Gary, this is a completely hypothetical question. And I know that uh, it might not sound like it. And I, I'm not suggesting in any way that, you know, that you're, you're the next in line. To, to be to be appointed England test coach, although there are many who are. But um, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's an awful lot of red tape and administration. You could see, I know that you could see, can see a, a clear pathway forward, but there are 18 counties to deal with and uh, a lot of bureaucracy. If, if by chance, you know, sometime in the future, you were given that chance, would you be able to insist on the right criteria to do the job as you see best? Manners, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, off the, off the top of my head, the first, the first conversation that I would have with the powers that be is make sure you've got five or six people in the room that are the best test match experts that you could have in English cricket. So for me, number one standout would be someone like Alistair Cook. I mean, he, he would have to be in the room to discuss the game going forward at test match level in England. And I think if you can get the right people in the room with the best thinking that is available in the game, and then importantly is for, for the best cricket minds in the game to agree on a top six batting lineup where everyone goes, gee, this, this is, these are technically the best players in the country. Then you can move forward. But until, until that time where you've got divided opinion and you've got, um, you know, people thinking that there are a lot of different ways that you, you know, you can skin the cat. Yeah, you're going to have differences. You're going to have, um, you're going to have a lot of change-ups. And that's not what Test Match Cricket's about. You need to have consistency, stability. You need to have a, um, a team that you, that you know that you, you go to even when things aren't going well, but you stick with them. You just think of what they've done with the bowling lineup. I mean, Broad and Anderson have been there for many, many years, but they keep going back to them because they know that they are bankers and they know that they can do what they need to do for the team. And I think, um, you know, you need to create that certainly in the batting lineup as well. I'm 100% with you on that, especially on the Broad and Anderson one, because the Broad and Anderson one for me just just gets out the background noise. The question I was going to ask was, does the background noise complicate? And what I mean by that is too many cooks. Is there too many people around to give information to players or to be around the players that complicate the matter? Maybe it's make the bat, make the players a bit soft in a way that they rely too heavily 
on other other people's advice, not have ownership over their own careers, ownership over their own game. Is that getting too much? Because when I first went on an overseas tour, I had probably three members, four members of staff. Now, there's more members of staff than there is players. And the beauty about the Broad and Anderson is, no matter which bowling coaches come in there, they don't go anywhere near Broad and Anderson because they haven't got a justification to do so because of the amount of wickets they've got. Yeah, Steve, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, it begs the question, how do we define coaching? And if someone said to me, would you go into any international setup and start telling people to play the game differently? Absolutely not. But I certainly would challenge it. I challenge it to be the best version of themselves. So it really defines, it's not, it's not me presenting a new way to play the game of cricket. And when I was very fortunate to join India, what I was able to um, identify in India was, was not that, um, you know, Sachin Tendulkar was picking the bat up wrong but that they needed to be challenged in the way them, they as a team were operating. And I think that's what coach, that's the skill of coaching. It's about a facilitation of the journey of each individual and saying, how does this guy become better than what he is now? And how can I challenge him? And that's what coaching is about. It's not saying, sorry, you're playing the game the wrong way and I'm going to teach you the right way. Any coach that believes he has the way um, to team success um, is, a, is, a fool, is a fool in my opinion. There's no such thing. But I think what you can do is you can put a system together that allows each individual to, you know, to, to thrive and, and be the best version of themselves. And, you know, I think in that, you've also got to be able to make hard decisions. You know, you've got to look at what exists in the environment at the moment and say, you know, sorry, at the end of the day, you're averaging 33 uh, in, in, in test match cricket over 50 test matches and you've got 400s you know, that's not going to match it against the best teams in the world. You know, you've got to be a better version of that. And that's why I'm such a stickler for great technique, because I just believe that test match technique in batting, and I would presume it would be the same for bowling as well, because as, as you would know, Steve, you know, you, you, you lose your way as a, as a bowler against the best batters in the world. They're going to work you over. And um, batters, batters is the same. You know, you, you know why has Marnus Lovershane become such a great test match batsman? Well, it's little wonder. He's got a very pure, clean test match technique. You know, when he gets put under pressure defensively, he knows how to get himself out of it. And, you know, you, I think in England, you've got to find the six best batsmen that, technically can manage themselves against a moving ball and against um, straight ball and basically with straight back technique. That's, that's, re- that's what it boils down to. And I agree with that, but it comes to the bowling because I've said in the last five years, 10 years, since franchise cricket has come in, the bowling has gone up, has gone through the roof and the batting techniques have gone downhill because of bowlers getting challenged all the time. Every single time the bowler gets the ball in his hand, He's being challenged because somebody's coming at him. He has to think quickly. He has to think on his feet. I'm not sure that's happening in the department. I just think it's a cop-out. How has the 100 complicated things from an English cricket point of view and your experiences of the 100 last year working with players? Is it trying to make them better or is it just trying to make the best out of what they've got to fit into a unit to try and be a successful short format team because you've only got a short period of being together? I think it's a great entertainment product, but it's very different from what you're trying to create at, at test match level, you know, but it's a great entertainment product. And I think, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a fantastic platform for young players to make a claim for higher honors. Um, it's a pressurized environment. I think IPL did a fantastic job 
in bringing young players through the system. You know, any guy that can go in front of, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people and go make a performance under pressure, you know, we get excited about that as international coaches. So these, these shorter formats are just fantastic entertainment products, but they're very far removed in many ways from what you're trying to create in your, in your test match environment. I mean, test match cricket, as we know, is uncompromising. It is, it is hardcore. <laughs> it is properly tough. And, you know, you can't just arrive there as a successful one-day cricketer and think you're going to crack it as a test match player. It just doesn't happen. You know, it requires a lot of resilience. Every player is slightly different, but you work it out. You know, you work it out. I wasn't technically a, a, um, a great test match player, but I think, you know, every guy that I played a lot of test match cricket with or against, they worked something out. They understood what it took to go and make big performances. And, you know, there's only one currency in test match cricket and that's scoring hundreds as a batsman. It's as simple as that. And, you know, your great test match bowlers, you know, are banging out big performances on a fairly regular basis as well because they do things that allows them to be able to achieve that. And I think sometimes what, what, danger, what, what we can do is we, we get too funky around the game and we start to think that... Um, you can go out there and you can, you, can, you can play the game a certain way and it's going to work across the formats. That's not the case. I mean, that's something that I've been fascinated with just in the, in the batting in, in England. I mean, Joe Root is standout. He's just, he's just an unbelievable test match cricketer. But it blows me away um, in many ways that you could think that batting at two runs and over up front is going to you know, be the way to go in test match cricket. It's not. You're going to get found out very quickly because you, you can't, you can't spend that much time at the crease with the game not going forward, you know? So, so a, a, a strategy of, of just survival is not a strategy in test match cricket. We know that. And, and sometimes I think it's interesting to understand the guys that have the techniques to be able to play the game and take the game forward are the ones that we get excited by with, a, with as good a te- uh, technique as, a, as, a, as that can have. Gary, finally, I know you've got the stakes on the bry, and I don't want you to burn them. I'll never forget the day that uh, <laughs> never forget the day that Alan Border set three gullies for you and um, your your first Test match, uh, having quickly identified your strongest scoring area. But how much can the game evolve at once you reach once you're picked to play at the highest level? I mean, you learnt on the job. You you kind of had to, didn't you? Um, how much learning on the job is required and, and how ready can you be for test cricket? No, you, uh, learning on the job is really, really tough, to be honest with you. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to just stay alive, you know. And, um, you know, staying alive, I think for a young player now, you've got, to be, you've got to be producing fairly regular performances. I mean, it took me 28 test innings to get my first test 100. And um, I was lucky to stay alive through that period, man, as, as, you, as you remember. But, um, you know, once I got, got through that Test 100 and I was able to, you know, um, you know pick it up from there. I, I think, for, I think for, a, for a young player, all, all we as coaches need to do is I, I need to get excited by when I look at a young player. You just think of that Australian bowling attack now. And I look at a young player and I see, you know what, he has something that I can get excited by, technically-wise, that he can go on and play against the best bowlers in the world at test match level. 
he doesn't have to necessarily get a massive amount of runs in a particular series. And that's why sometimes when we start to judge players just on how many runs they score at county level or how many runs they score as they arrive in the test, test scene, we can, we can sometimes get fooled by you know, a guy that might not have the kind of technique that is required. And that's why you just I, just, I always use the example Jock Callis. Jock Callis never fired in his first eight to 10 test matches. But everyone knew that this was a guy that was going to go on and become one of the greats of the game. And I think there has to be a responsibility for scouts, coaches, and selectors to be able to pick players and back them because they know that they've got the kind of technique that can go on and become a great test match player. Gary Kirsten, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really, very, very much appreciated indeed. And um, as you said, um, you know, you're... You're 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 in the in the market. You're a coach for hire, so um, I suppose people will make of that what they will. Should things transpire in the England camp, thank you, hey, thank you. Thanks, thanks, Neil, and thanks, Steve. Go well, guys. That was Gary Kirsten, and you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll look at what the ECB can do to improve Test cricket. But next. We'll speak live to Durham coach, bowling coach, Neil Killeen, to discuss if the coaching in the county scene can improve. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast via the following on feed, which is now available, as always, on the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Delighted to say, again, as promised in the intro, we're joined live now by Durham bowling coach Neil Killeen. We, what, we're pursuing uh, the comments that uh, have been made in a couple of articles now by Paul Firebrace and have been backed up by other coaches, some of whom um, have not been named. But the, the, the very much the, the feeling that, that people are getting in the aftermath of the Ashes um, debacle, if I can call it that, Neil, is that, um, that Paul Fabre said anyway, has been saying that coaching at county level is perhaps lacking a, a bit of oomph. It's not prescriptive enough. It's not dealing with basic fundamental techniques. Um, I think he was talking mostly about, about batting, but we wanted to know from you what your experience was. There was even a suggestion that ECB uh, prescriptives have told coaches at below county level, not to be too hard line, I suppose, uh, to encourage players to think for themselves, to work things out for themselves, and not necessarily to follow the manual. Yeah, man, there is a, a place for a bit of both, in my opinion. It's So I don't think that all county coaches operate kind of like Farby was alluding to, which is that we're just allowing players to develop themselves and, and find ways forward. We certainly don't at Durham. That's something which um, we've got in place where all our, of our pro coaches try and work down the system so we can see what's going on and, and try. And, and you mentioned the word there, the fundamentals. To me, that's critical. And making sure that those basic fundamentals and the messages that we want to see at the top level are being passed down and brought into the game at the lower levels. Kill, I'm, I'm intrigued to know and when this topic came up, you were the first person I wanted to to speak to on it, not because you're one of my mates, but because of the amount of coaching you do and you've been involved in. Your son Mitchell's gone through the academy, you know, the youth set up at Durham um, and played a lot of junior cricket, now on the academy. You've seen coaching from first team level. You've been with England um, last year when they were in the lockdown. You've seen academy level. You've seen first team level, second team level. Durham second team coach of a, a winning side, but also seeing the youth set up coaches as well. I, I get a bit annoyed and a bit critical sometimes that it seems to be that the coaches that can get a level or the ECB need certain level of level three. It's the more articulate people that can read a manual rather than actually coach specifics of how to play these shots, how to understand the game. Is Are we getting lost in that or as well as that, are we getting lost in society as being soft and coaches are not wanting to tell people they're not doing their jobs properly because you know they don't want to upset anybody. The world we live in now, you've got to be careful on what you say and who you say it to. Yeah, I, I don't think we are getting like that, Harmy. I think we, I think there is areas where you have to be like that, and I think the skill to to learn and how to be a really articulate and a coach which gets across the right messages is when to do that and when not to do that. As you know yourself, there's certain players that if somebody had come to you as a, a youngster and gone, Stephen, you have to bowl this way, you'd have gone, no, I'm not. You'd have gone, I'm doing it my way. So you were one who we had to leave alone, who we had to allow to develop himself and find your own way. And that was 20 been, years but, ago, Kill. That was no, 20 years ago. 100%, it was 20 years ago, and I get that. And I think now where we're getting lost a little bit with this is, is are we losing the fundamentals or are players developing in a different way? What are the fundamentals? That's the key thing. What are the fundamentals for the current game? And I think what this Ashes series has exposed is that we do need the basics of batting fundamentals across the game. 
And I look at that from a batting point of view. If I was a bowler now and I'm looking at somebody like Dom Sibley and Rory, Rory Burns walking out to bat, whether they're from Surrey or from Warwickshire, they're keeping me interested for five, six, seven, eight overs. I'm still got energy after five, six, seven, eight overs. Where if I went against somebody like a Marcus Triscothic who stood there upright and straight, feet forward defence, back coming down straight, and I'm thinking, oh my word, how am I going to get this one out on a flat one? That doesn't seem to be the case now. It just seems to be you can pick the bat up, go in any direction. And surely that's got to be from lower down before it gets anywhere near the international stage. We have a um, sort of a a system where, like I alluded to earlier, where our top coaches put a framework in place that, that we want players coming to us looking like. And part of that is the fundamentals. I mean, from a bowling point of view, I want bowlers to be able to bowl with a strong, repeatable action. I want them to be able to set a ball up correctly, be able to run up rhythmically and repeat it. I also want to look for the X factors, which are your pace, your bounce, your, your swing, your seam. If we can find that, they're add-ons. But those basic fundamentals, a pro should never be signed as a pro without them. Sorry, if a, if a bowler says to you, I want to bowl, I want to bowl a knuckleball, I want to, how, how do you bowl a slow ball bouncer? How do you bowl um, uh, the, out the side of the hand slow ball? All of those things. Do you say, yeah, we'll talk about that, Provided you can hit the top of uh, the hit the top of off stump with uh, with twenty four consecutive deliveries, uh, and then we'll talk about that. It's like with the batting. I mean, four, five or six years ago, it was exciting seeing coaches encouraging kids to hit the ball, to 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 you know free up the arms and 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 hit the ball. But are, are we now paying the price a little bit with players coming through who know how to hit the ball but can't bat a session? Yeah, I mean, I think that they do see a lot of white ball cricket a lot of short form cricket they're always going to especially the real youngsters now they're going to come to you and ask can I do all the tricks can I bowl this slow ball can I bowl that slow ball the back of the hand the knuckle balls the wobble seam balls and from a batting point of view how do I hit it out of the park they're going to ask that so as a coach you have to cater for that but I totally agree with what you've just said I wouldn't allow that without the fundamental being in place first and is that is that something that's a problem? Because you're saying you wouldn't allow that, but it seems that around the country things are happening like that because I can't believe that some of the techniques, at, not even at first-class level, I'm seeing some of the techniques at international level. That can't be happening where you say, oh, right, you're not, you, you, literally you can't bat like that because your bat doesn't come down straight. You can't, you can't be on balance to hit the ball. Kill, I've just watched, I've just watched Hasim Hamid on two days before Christmas, do the hokey practice for the hokey cokey on Christmas day rather than practice batting because he's got bat in one hand and he's on one and he's on his opposite leg trying to hit a ball on the offside and he plinks it through the leg side. Where's the sort of the fundamental basics of trying to defend a ball from Pat Cummins when you're, yeah. when you're, when you're scrambling people's minds like that? No, those drills and those coaches have, have all got ability to coach and those drills that they're doing I'm never going to pull anybody's drills apart. They're, they're their things and their things that they believe in, the same as I've got things that I believe in. What I would have said is those, those drills, for me, if I was doing them with you, which I have done, I remember a session we did at my local cricket club outside my yeah, garden, yeah. Here, where you were struggling, yeah. brought you up here. We did it out of the eyes of everybody else. I had corns up, hurdles up, all sorts of things up to help you get back to where you needed to be. I've still yeah. got the video. Yeah. But that that's stuff that we did, but that was stuff that me and you did away from the bright lights in the big city. So when you, when you I think what I'm what I'm trying to 
sort of allude to and get to trying to work out whether our sort of system is uh, too soft. Is it not structured enough? Is uh, the fear there anymore when uh, I've made this joke many, many times before I played golf with Jeff Cook in August and I still, I still frightened the life out of me every time he walks in front of me. You know, and you know, little things like that, you, the, the fear of the coach, you know, understanding your own game. Do we have players that understand their own game in first-class cricket, under-19 cricket, to give them the best chance to go and progress through the system? Because, like you said before, somebody said to me in the academy, you got a bowl like this, it was like Brett Lee. And I was like, no, I know my own mind. I, I think my exact words were, you know, I bowl 93 mile an hour, and sometimes I don't know where it's going. That's the fun of the fair for me. That's the fun of the fair. And you know, if, I've, if I've got no idea, Tim, 22 yards away has got less chance. That was me having my own mind and my own determination that my career was going to be in my destiny in my hands. Have we got, is, is this what we're saying? These players are being given that resp- level of responsibility. Yeah, look, I think by the time they get to test match cricket, everything you've just described there, they should know. So if we're picking players who are cap- who we think as selectors and as England are capable of playing test match cricket, they should know that game inside out. That's the area where, for me as a county coach and working underneath the system, if one of my players steps up to England, I'll be 100% sure that they know that game. Prime example, but if Brandon Cars gets picked for the West Indies trip, test matches, going yep. out there in March, Yuri's bowling coach at this minute yep. in time, what do you do with Bryden to get him in a position to not only get him up to speed, but put things in his mind, what he's going to need for three test matches against the West Indies in Barbados, Grenada and Antigua? One that's making him really clear on, on what, his, what his objectives are, what he's looking to do, what he's, who he's looking to play against. I'm not worried about his game. I'm happy his game's in a good place. We've done that work. But mm. I'm, if he's going out to play out there, I want him to be confident in himself of what he's going up against and feel good in, his, in where he is. Basically, do a bit of research into who he's playing against, the players he's playing against, see how they play, the way he's going to get them out, the lengths that he needs the ball on the pitches out there, what the ball will potentially do, and hopefully that puts him in a place where he can then run in. The rest of his game, he's got the pace, he's got the bounce, he's got the skill. It's all about the mental side of the game as he's stepping up above. If, if selectors make decisions based on, on numbers, they might say... Uh, Brian Cast has taken uh, 35 wickets at, at 22. He's a leading performer in the county championship. Therefore, we're going to pick him for England. Do you think you should get a call from selectors uh, to say his numbers are great? What else can you tell us? Is he ready, in your opinion? To be totally fair, they do that. So I would speak to um, John Lewis or Chris Silverwood, as would Marcus North or James Franklin, around our players and who they might be looking at. And sometimes figures don't tell a true story. So I think you have to do that. You have to talk to people because seeing somebody who takes that wicket at, at under 25, but you haven't really seen them ball, well, then you don't know that true story unless you're speaking to the coaches who are there day and day out. And just finally, on Stokesy, we've seen play three test matches. You were there for the build-up. Are we, did we just ask far too much of no preparation in Brisbane? asking him to feel for 150 overs, to then be the superhuman player he is? Is it just too much for Ben? I don't think anybody would ever say that Ben would shy away from something like that. But I think 
were you asking me, was Ben ready to play? Yeah, he was ready to play. He was physically fit enough. His skills were where they needed to be. His pace was up with the ball. Did he have volume in him? No. And I think the prep when they got out there, being stuck in a hotel in isolation to come out and then practice for a short period of time with one or two games that were hampered by weather, that was just a practice and a prep which wasn't really suitable for an Ashes series. And I think under perfect circumstances, they would have had a bit more practice time, a bit more cricket, a bit more time when they got there. But he was always going to play. We've got to leave it there. Neil Killeen, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, it's been fascinating and informative. Um, and um, keep up the good work. You're obviously doing good, uh, good stuff up there. OK, thanks. Nice to be on. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Steve Harmison as we look at how Test cricket can improve in England. And in the final part of the show, we'll be joined, as promised, by The Times' Lizzie Ammon to discuss what the ECB can do to improve the Red Bull game in this country. If they do look to replace him, you know, there's plenty of, you know, good English coaches in our system or coaches who are within the 100-100. And, and one person in particular is like Alex Stewart, who knows the system really well. We've seen some young cricketers from the Surrey come through the system. And he's a, he's a one person I think England may have, may look on. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison as we debate why the standard of Test cricket in England has fallen over the years. That was uh, the former England spinner Monty Panesar telling our colleagues at Sky Sports News that Alex Stewart will be a good candidate to replace Chris Silverwood as England head coach. And again, as promised in the intro, we're joined live by uh, the Times cricket writer Lizzie Ammon, news cricket writer, and that's the reason that we've asked her to uh, to to come onto the show. Um, and Lizzie, so we want to know what what the talk is of um, of restructuring, if that's the right uh, if that's the right word. Are we still going to have four competitions in the English summer? What's the word doing doing the rounds? Well, I don't expect there to be any change for 2022. Uh, I mean, we haven't got the fixtures for 2022 yet, the domestic fixtures, which in itself is a little odd. Um, but I don't, I'm not expecting there to be any change for 2022. There seems to be limited appetite for a kind of root and branch, excuse the pun, root and branch <laughs> review of everything. You know, we've had them before, haven't we? We've had the Schofield report and the McLaren report. And, you know, um, there seems to be little appetite for that. But undoubtedly, there will be some pressure from within the county network to have a look again at what uh, four competitions, I think, universally accepted is just not sustainable. So something will have to be revisited. Um, there will, of course, be calls for fewer counties, uh, quite how anybody might achieve that. It would be so divisive uh, and to try and sort of pull the talent in, in, into fewer clubs. Uh, I, I wouldn't hold your breath on that happening anytime soon. And there will be, uh, of course, a look again at when Red Bull cricket is played in the summer. Now, there is a bit of good news for 2022, because I do understand that there will be at least <laughs> a couple of rounds of, uh, of Red Bull in June and three in July. So this, that is at least summer rather than winter. Yeah, especially when you're from the northeast of England and you play in April and May and it's freezing cold. Uh, I, I agree. I think that, that I don't see the, the, the powerhouses at the ECB changing it for 2022. Um, but we hear Joe has come out and said, Joe Root's come out and said, yes, I'm quite happy to continue on as captain. 
which a lot of the ECB will be quite thankful of because literally nobody else, but on the proviso that things change. Now, what can change, Lizzie? Because because you know what, Lizzie, I came off that that couch on whatever morning it was at three o'clock in the morning. And my mm. phone was going mental with people having a go about the state of English cricket and not looking after test matches. People in this country love test cricket. Absolutely. And they are rightly livid. Um, the, the kind of the chickens are coming home to roost, aren't they? After years and years of decisions that have uh, devalued first class cricket. Now, it's a very complicated question, really, about where we get our talent from. Is the talent pool big enough? Is their coaching right at uh, all the age group level? Is the academy system right? I mean, they're all really big questions and we've done lots of tinkering with them. But there are some really big questions, aren't there, Harvey? Like, County cricketer pay. If you can earn more for playing five weeks of the 100 than your annual county salary, why are you going to do 20 overs up the hill into the wind? You're just not going to, are you? It's just not attractive. Um, We have to look a bit uh, at rebalancing that. Uh, I mean, obviously, pitches are a big issue. At the moment, uh, and I'm quite nervous to say this in front of you, Army, but, but, you know, seam bowlers are flattered by pitches that do quite a lot and a jig ball with a big seam. You don't have to be that skillful, do you, early season, to hit the seam and it moves a lot. But sometimes couldn't hit the cut strip and have mind the seam. So when you, when you look at it, I, I agree. I've said this many times, Lizzie. Now, an 18-year-old Steve Harmison wouldn't play county cricket. I wouldn't pick him. And that's scary because mm. they would go, oh, hold on. He goes 10 overs for 50. He might get us three wickets, but he might not. If he goes over 50 that could cost us the game because 180, 181st innings, 162nd innings, that's the way the games go. So I agree with that, that it comes to it. Can ECB afford, this is the big question, can they afford to change the structure of English cricket with the 100 and the blast at such a prominent time for financial and commercial reasons that can they afford to change and put first-class cricket in the right place and then give it the added value of a few more quid to ensure and entice young players to start blocking it for five hours or trying to make sure that they earn the right to score runs by having a proper defensive technique as opposed to just trying to hit the thing out of the park. I mean, you're absolutely right, because as it stands, what you do as an opening batsman is you just try and get a blast a quick 30 or 40, don't you, before the ball that's got your name on it. Um, and that's not teaching anyone um, about batting all day. I never... I watch loads of county cricket. I never see anyone bat all day. They're never batting into day two uh, anymore. Um, so pitches are a problem. I think we've got a bigger issue in terms of uh, commercialism versus um, developing players. There's also the inherent tension always happened between county cricket and England is county cricket isn't just there to produce England players. It's there to pro- win trophies, win matches and entertain your members you know, and there's always a bit of a tension between that. You don't, it's not just a, an England factory. I think the ECB have been pretty short-sighted here because actually, whilst chasing the white ball money, they've forgotten that in this country, people love test cricket and they pay extortionate amounts to go and watch it. The grounds are always full. Um, the vast bulk of the broadcasting deals is for international cricket, uh, not the 100. Uh, you know, they loyally pay their membership fees, even in a pandemic when they couldn't go and watch. I, I think these people underestimated the kind of strength of feeling for Red Bull cricket, which if you're looking at the bottom line of money, if you start to devalue that, then people won't stop 
they'll stop paying their money to go to watch test matches. They'll cancel their Sky and their BT subscriptions. And then the broadcasting deal value will fall. So even if you are looking at it purely from a money point of view, it is short-sighted to undermine um, the Red Bull game. But there is only a six-month season and we play too much cricket. Something has got to give. My colleague Michael Afton has written a, a manifesto today in The Times, which is an interesting read about the things that he thinks should happen. And his view is you can have either the 100 or the T20. You can't have both. Um, Lizzie, what are you hearing about the job security of those at the top, Tom Harrison and, uh, and Ashley Giles? It seems perhaps that Tom Harrison, you know, was given this mandate, make as much money as possible. Never mind the consequences. Your job is to make as much money as possible. And Ashley Giles has been accused of um, a few nepotistic appointments, appointing his mates. What, what, what news on them? Well, I mean, I, don't, I think that we might be in for the night of the long knives, Manners, because... Um, I'm not sure in six months' time any of them will still be there. I mean, Tom has been clinging on, and he is very much a, a dead man walking, really, because uh, <laughs> the lack of a chairman meant that even after his slightly disastrous appearance before the Select Committee uh, over the Azim uh, Rafiq testimony, the county's kind of reluctantly agreed to let him stay because there isn't a chairman after him. What more advice? So the ECB was rudderless, but he is. He is a commercial man and he does that very well and he got a very good broadcasting deal. But from a cricket perspective, he's not a cricket man, really. The board of directors is an independent board of directors. They all bring, you know, their own skills, but none of them are cricket experts. None of them have run a county cricket club. None of them have played cricket, you know. So these are sort of being run by people who, who are very good with a spreadsheet and a bank balance, but not so great at understanding how you invest long term in the health of all aspects of the game. Um, so I think Ashley will have to go at some point. He has it has become a bit too cosy. Chris Silverwood, I think, won't last till February. Um, uh, and Tom Harrison will be gone within a few months. And I've said a few times, Lizzie, and, it, and it, honestly, it pains me to say this because we didn't we our relationship didn't end very well. But it just seems like the people that do the best jobs for English cricket are the ones from the outside. Duncan Fletcher. Trevor Bayliss, mm-hmm. Andy Flower, I said we've got a lot of ECB yes men. The coaching manual needs to go, in my opinion. Um, we hide too much behind that. We've got far too many people who have got no idea about the game, getting level threes and level fours, mm-hmm. and don't know you know which back to hold. Never mind anything else. Yeah, Duncan Fletcher would tell you what was happening to the ECB. The ECB were frightened of him. It was his job. It was his chopper on the block. He told them what was happening, and that was the way it was moving forward. Trevor Bayliss, a little bit more, obviously, standoffish, a little bit more relaxed. But in the end, the ECB were frightened of him because he was a, he was a winner. And Andy Flower, the same. Is it, a case, is it a case in point that we need somebody, a fresh pair of eyes to go, you know what? Not my job but county cricket, but we need to start developing and investing in some players that can actually play the longer format of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I do think we will end up back with someone from outside of the English county system. Um, uh, you know, there are lots of names being banded around. Um, I mean, part of the problem with this job is it's not particularly attractive head coach no. job, is it? It's not. You're away for ludicrous number of days a year because England play more cricket than any other nation. I mean, it's bonkers. If you look at the 2022-23 winter they are circumnavigating the globe, basically. They're doing a sort of Phileas Fogg. It's not an attractive job when you can earn 
the same amount of money or more for doing a few months in a franchise. And they've got to look at that because it's a problem because you don't get the, the best calibre candidates. Um, I, I think they'll have to go for a hard man. Uh, I think they'll have to go for someone who, uh, who will upset people. I, I mean, we saw it with Ed Smith, didn't we, Harmy? That he wasn't really afraid to upset the players. And ultimately, that's what cost him his job because he upset the players and then they didn't like him and they wanted him gone. But he was a challenging figure in that he thought deeply about things. He may not be the right man for that job. I mean, we've got to reinstate the selection panel, haven't we, Army? That's it's bonkers that the head coach is the sole selector. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the convert. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe the way the selection panel has gone. Just to take some pressure off the the lead man, the lead figure. How on earth can the the guy who's picking the team see every facet of what's happening in you know the the, the first class game? So I I agree. I think the selection. The selection panel has got to come back. I think we need somebody that's from the outside that will tell people what to think of them, but that will never happen because, again, Turkey's voting on Christmas. It's, I think we've, we've now got to get back to starting again, the reset point. We've got one bowler who has carried this bowling unit for a number of years now. We've got one batsman who's carried this batting unit, certainly for this year, and one's 39-year-old, and the other one's played 100, over 110 test matches. I, I've seen some alarming stats earlier that Joe Root's got four of the highest, the top five scores this calendar year. Joe's got the top four. But he's also got the second-best bowling figures in, <laughs> in, in, in this year as well. So it just tells you how, if he decided to turn around and say, right, up yours, I've had enough, you can stick it, I'll just go back to playing. I wouldn't blame him, but no, if he I did, wouldn't. boy, would be in so much trouble. Uh, yeah, abso- absolutely. Uh, and I think we've got to look below the um, below the first team. I mean, we don't... The Lions don't play enough cricket, do they? I mean, that has to be where you try and get them experience of other conditions. They have to have more tours. They even have to have some summer matches. I know that the counties won't like the fact that their players go off on, on Lions duty in the season. But th- there has to be a kind of second team, doesn't there, that, that are coming through for to backfill. I mean, what we saw with Australia is, you know, they got their two of their best bowlers missing and there's depth there. You know, they, they bring them in and there's depth to, to still be competitive. But Lizzie, we had, a, we had an air game in Australia not long ago in Brisbane. And if reports are of things that I'm hearing right, that senior figure in the, in the, the England side wanted Crawley, Bairstow, Lawrence to play in the game. And he was flatly turned down and refused. And somebody outside the group, well, somebody that's not part of the coaching team, selected the team that played against Australia Air. So if that is true, it was, true, it was I, 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 that, if that is true, that is just that typifies the system that unfortunately we are at at this minute in time. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, we it, it needs a radical reset, really, because it, it can't keep happening. This can't keep happening. Uh, with the, the the pay, it's always the paying public, isn't it? Mm. Who, who are the ones that suffer? You know, it's expensive business supporting cricket, and yet, and, and they love Test cricket, and and it's depressing watching a team that aren't very good and are consistently not very good, and it's even more depressing not thinking that there's any hope of them getting any better anytime soon. Lizzie, finally, um, two questions: the um, subject of the two point one million pound bonus that was paid to the ECB executives. Um, was answered in typically uncharismatic fashion by Tom Harrison, who said, oh, well, it was a contractual agreement. Is that the stick that uh, will eventually be used to beat him out of office? And and secondly, I heard a 
reasonably well-sourced rumour the other day that uh, the subject of, of split England coaches was back on the table. Um, any truth in that? Yeah, it absolutely will be. Um, uh, 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 that will be. Uh, uh, and, and not just England. I noticed that Nick Hockley was talking about it for, for Australia as well. I think that, I think everyone's going to have to end up going down that route. Too much cricket. There's just too much. Um, but I think definitely back on the table. Uh, Ashley Giles was very much not in favour of that. But then I think he had a pretty bad experience when uh, he was the <laughs> he was the white ball coach and Andy Flower was the red ball. So uh, perhaps not best to base it on that. So I think that will definitely be on the table for discussion. My left field... Um, view is that Owen Morgan should be offered all the money he wants to be part of the management and coaching setup as soon as he puts his bat down um, because the man is you know he's ruthless and he's he's um, innovative uh, uh, and absolutely challenging and, and I think he would be uh, you know a, a, a really important part of any setup whether it's red ball or white ball or both. Uh, in terms of the bonus now interesting they haven't, they haven't actually got it in their little sticky mitts yet um, which I think is what <laughs> which I think is what they're hanging on for but um it certainly seems like uh, Tom Harrison and the five other executives are not particularly willing to volunteer to put those bonuses back in the pot. Lizzie Ammon, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been insightful, informative and entertaining as well. And we've kept you 10 minutes longer than we should have done. Thank you so much <laughs> indeed for your time. No problem at all. Great to see you guys. That was Lizzie Ammon, the Times cricket news writer. Thanks once again, Harmy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you miss any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look ahead with excitement and trepidation to the fourth Ashes test. But for now, it remains for us just to say Happy New Year. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.